0: Years ago, our family was on one of what turned out to be a number of 30-hour car rides we took across Canada from Toronto to Winnipeg. Toronto where we were living, Winnipeg where my parents were living. And uh, 30 hours is a long time in the car, uh, especially when often we drove it straight through for whatever reason. And what I discovered as we went across the Trans-Canada Highway was that uh, many places there were zero radio stations that you could get. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. There are very few towns, and there, those that are there, you, they roll up the sidewalks very early. So little life. And realizing that you can't get a radio station, and we didn't have any other form of entertainment or diversion available all those years ago we had a cassette player in the car that's how long ago this was and we didn't have any cassettes (laughs) so somewhere along the way we found a little gas station and i in that gas station found one of those carousels that was selling cassette tapes and there was one that said top country hits by the original artists. Now, I wasn't a big country music fan, but there weren't a lot of other options. And I'd heard of the songs, and these were the original artists. And so I plunked down the money for that tape, and we got back in the car to continue the journey. And I discovered that what they meant by the original artists was that was the name of the band that was doing all of these songs. It was a long ride. My wife and I and our 10-year-old, our baby, a dog, an achy, breaky heart sung by someone who is not Billy Ray Cyrus. But I actually remember that fondly as we were all together as a family. We were all headed in the same direction and listening to the same music. We begin a new series today that I hope will have us all headed the same direction, singing the same song. Each of the next four weeks, we'll look at a different psalm about worship. The psalms, that Old Testament collection, are all songs, and while worship itself involves far much more than music, music certainly plays an important part in worship. Psalm 133 is a very short song that I want us to look at this morning and it's connected to the worship experience of ancient Israel. It's one of 15 songs of ascent. You can see that title if you're looking in your Bible. Most of them would have that title. It's a song of ascent. What does that mean? Well, these were the songs that Israel sang as they traveled to worship in Jerusalem. So on their way up to the temple, ascending to the place of worship, they sang Psalms 120 through 134, 15 of them. Some people say that one of those songs was sung on each of the steps leading up to the temple. And if that's true, then Psalm 133 was sung on the second to last step up to the temple. This is a worship song, and it should today change our perspective. It should change my attitude and your attitude toward corporate gatherings for worship and what they're for, what they mean. The focus of Psalm 133 is unity, togetherness, community, and it begins with these words, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. King David wrote this psalm, and of course, it's true how beautiful it is, how delightful it would be if we all could just get along. How nice when there is unity. Right away you say, yeah, that would be nice. That's not my experience all too often. What's missing? What's wrong with us? Why can't we experience the joy of unity all the time? Well, I want you to picture what David is describing. Uh, Not all versions translate the first word in the Hebrew text like this one does. Behold! Some people leave it out altogether in their translations of the Bible. Behold! It's not a word that we use a lot, but but I think it's important. David is saying, look at this! He, He has a picture. There's a scene that's captured David's attention, and he wants us to see it too. Look at the people traveling from all over the land, from every conceivable situation, streaming up to the temple for worship. Look at this. Behold this! And now they're singing this song. People from different tribes and ages and occupations, they're all gathering together. And how beautiful it is, how delightful it is, how pleasant it is when they dwell together, he says, in unity. Dwell in unity. Yashab, yakad is the two Hebrew words that, that's translated dwell in unity. It Actually, is the same phrase that's used in Genesis chapter 13 when Abraham and Lot had to separate because their herds were so big. They had so many many cattle, so many sheep that there wasn't enough water and grass for all of them to be together in the same place for the same purpose. They couldn't dwell together in unity. They couldn't stay in the same place at the same time. And so they moved apart. And David sings how great it is When brothers can be united in the same place for the same reason. And by brothers, David is referring to his entire nation. Men, women, children streaming to the temple. How delightful, beautiful it is when we can dwell, which means to do life together, to hang out together, to spend time in the same place. Now, do we all feel that way all the time? Well, if we can be honest, that's not our experience all the time. People can drive us crazy. That's a shock to some of you, but I think it's true. How often we can be annoyed by strangers and even by those closest to us. Can you admit that sometimes people might be just a little irritating? Can you admit that maybe you're a little irritating sometimes to other people? I know I am. In fact, it might be more generally true if verse 1 read, Behold how frequently rude and unpleasant other people are! (laughs) But David is referring to the joy of a specific time when people are gathered in unity. How good and pleasing when you can be in the same place for the same reason. Now before we look more into that, notice how David describes this experience. Verse 2. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Now, actually, pouring oil on someone's head sounds pretty messy and like a practical joke. Uh, But every Israelite understood what David was talking about. He's referring to something very unique and holy in their nation. This is the precious oil. This is not canola oil, coconut oil, castor oil, or crude oil. This is the precious oil. And the ingredients of that are given in Exodus chapter 30. It contained liquid myrrh and fragrant cinnamon and other spices. So it was very highly aromatic oil. And it had to be made, Exodus 30 says, by a perfumer and used only at special times. God prohibited this for personal use. He said, don't, you don't make this for your own fragrance. Don't turn this into an essential oil that you sell online. No, this is, this, there's, there's copyright infringement if you do this, he says. Uh, it was precious. That, that is, it was intended for use in worship and in consecration. To consecrate is to set apart somebody or something for God's use, to devote it to Him. That's when this oil was used. So uh, when the scent of the precious oil was in the air and you were an Israelite, you know something holy is happening, something sacred is happening, something important is going on. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the place of worship was anointed to declare it holy. The, the tabernacle, the temple, the worship areas smelled of this precious oil. The king was anointed as a sign that this was the man God had chosen to lead his people. The priests were anointed to set them apart for God's use. And the image that he gives here is of Aaron, the high priest, being anointed over Israel. The oil is poured on his head, but it doesn't stop there. It flows down his face, to his beard, his collar, his robe. And the oil is saturating, seeping, soaking into everything. This oil is unstoppable. It influences everything. It touches. And David says that's what it's like when we're together in holy purpose. That's what it's like. This oil poured on Aaron's head, head. that's what it's like when we're together. It's an irresistible flow of blessing. So imagine the fragrance, the, the, the glistening joy of this special moment. As Aaron stands ready to represent the people before a holy God and to represent God to his people, how soothing and satisfying and sacred to see this visible sign of God's presence with his people, this oil flowing down on the high priest. Now understand that this unity that is talked about in this psalm is not an everyday experience. This unity he's talking about is not an ordinary experience. That's the whole point of using this image. It's to say, no, this doesn't happen anytime, anywhere, just on a whim. No, it's special, it's sacred, it's unique, it's multisensory. it's powerful, it's pervasive. This, this unity of Psalm 133 is not ordinary, average, everyday. It's sacred and special. He gives another image. Verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. Mount Hermon was over 9,000 feet above sea level. It's the highest peak in Israel, and you could see it 120 miles away. In fact, David might have actually been looking at Mount Hermon while he wrote this psalm. It was white-capped and covered with snow at the top for two-thirds of the year. Now, Mount Zion, uh, by contrast, was a a much lower elevation, but it's a very important place. Mount Zion, that's where Jerusalem is. Mount Zion, that's where the temple is. That's where they're going to worship there. But an elevation significantly lower than Hermon. And and half the year, Mount Zion got almost no precipitation. So imagine the dew from a snow-capped mountain settling down on a hot, arid, crowded city. And such a dew would be very refreshing after the heat, the heat of the day. And especially for those who are on pilgrimage up to Mount Zion to worship during the dry season. And that moisture also helped the crops to grow and, and vegetation to grow. In that dry climate, the, the dew increased productivity and in plant life. And David said that's what it's like when God's people come together in the same place for the same reason." This experience of unity is refreshing. It brings encouragement and, and lifts spirits and promotes growth. Notice the last phrase of the psalm For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, now it's under, important to understand this properly. Blessing is commanded by God, it's commanded. That, that word, the same way that God Told Adam and Eve they could not eat from any tree, in the, they could eat from any tree in the garden except one, and commanded them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That, that was an order; was the only order he gave. So God orders blessing there. Where's there? Well, it's wherever God's people have gathered to worship, wherever they're united in holy purpose. That's where God gives His blessing. psalm 133 that place of blessing the there is the temple in jerusalem on mount zion but because of jesus all that has changed dramatically god sent his only son into this world To save us from sin and death. And Jesus is, as he claimed to be, the way and the truth and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through him. By his sacrificial death on the cross, he bridged the gap between a a perfect holy God and a sinful, lost, fallen humanity. And for those who believe in Christ, Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so Jesus changed how we worship and where we worship. He is our access to the Father. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a church building. The cross of Christ bridges the gap between us and God. So, what does this psalm teach Christians today, those who are following Jesus today, what does it teach us about worship? Well, let me say it in this way. You won't experience the blessing of true unity unless you come together to worship God through Jesus. You won't experience this blessing that's being talked about here unless you come together to worship God through Jesus. There's a a couple of things there that I want to talk about. One, One is that we must gather in the same place. We must gather in the same place. You say, well, can I worship on my own? Absolutely. In fact, I must worship on my own as well. I need to view all of life as an act of worship if I'm a follower of Jesus. And so when I'm out in nature... I worship God when I, how I do my work is an act of worship to God. Uh, Everything, and what I say and what I think and what I read, enjoying art and animals and food and drink and marriage and music and science and sex and rest and responsibility and sound and silence and and, uh, work and sports and all of that can be lived to the glory of God and be an act of worship. Through Jesus, all life can be lived in praise of our Creator. But this corporate aspect of worship cannot be ignored. It can't be neglected. Because something unique, something special happens when God's people gather together. That's the way He designed it. It's beyond the everyday and the ordinary. God designed it that there be something special and unique when we gather in corporate worship. There's something that each of us add to the experience. Because together we are the body of Christ. As 1 Corinthians 12 says, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. When he says you, I'll translate for you, he means all y'all. It's plural. All y'all who name Jesus are part of the body of Christ. Some more noticeable than others. 1 Corinthians 12 says, but that does not diminish the importance of what each of us adds to the mix. And that's why Hebrews 10.25 tells God's people, don't give up the habit of meeting together. Don't, Don't give that up as many are doing. And the main reason not to give that up is not so that, well, we'll, we'll have community. It's not, not for fellowship. It, it's not uh, f- so that we can increase our sense of wellness, uh, oneness. Unity is a byproduct. It's not the purpose. Other people are not the, the main attraction. But, but the, the point here is, I want you to think about, we must gather in the same place for Psalm 133 to occur. And we must gather for the same purpose. We must gather for the same purpose. David was inspired to write song number 133 as he watched God's people gather to praise the Lord. They were thronging toward the temple to sing God's worth. One Hebrew scholar commenting on this psalm says that they were uniting for the purpose of divine worship. They were uniting for the purpose of divine worship. They weren't gathering for a town hall. Uh, They weren't gathering for a political rally or a harvest festival or a family reunion. The focus was to honor the God of all creation. Now imagine receiving an invitation to a birthday party. Maybe it's for your great-grandma who's turning 100. Maybe it's for your grandbaby's first birthday Maybe it's for your dad who's turning 65 or your mother who's turning 39 yet again. It's a birthday party. Why do you go? What's your reason for attending? Well, I really like cake. I'm hungry and I heard there'll be barbecue. Or, you know, I'm just going to show up and live through this and and I, I... I'm not going to bring a gift because I'm honoring them with my presence. That's socially unacceptable, egotistical, and perhaps a little psychopathic. Why are you there? Because you love great-grandma, or you love that little baby. You love your dad, your mom, and you go to celebrate the one that you love it's their party. And yes, you might get to enjoy some cake and some barbecue, but that's just a bonus. And even if you don't have the resources to give the, the, a best gift or much gift at all beyond a card, you, you, you enjoy giving something because you're there to honor that loved one. And when we approach worship of the Almighty Lord of the universe with the attitude of, I'm here for me, I need to be encouraged. I'm putting in my time. I'm doing my duty. God better appreciate this. Or this better be worth it than we failed to worship. And there will be no blessing. There will be no sense of unity. There will be no joy of community. See, our purpose in worship, and so many Christians have messed this up today, and sadly, so many churches have messed this up today. Our purpose in worship is not to make your marriage better. It's not. I want you to have a better marriage. That's not our purpose. Our purpose in worship is not to deepen your friendships. Our purpose in worship is not to tell you how to vote. Our purpose in worship is not to increase your spiritual knowledge. Some of you already have far more than you'll ever use. Our purpose in worship is to honor the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. My friend John Kessler says that our mistake as the church has been to set community as the primary focus rather than the Lord himself. And Christ is the key to community. Uh, Ephesians 2.18 says that it's through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that we have access to God the Father by the Spirit. And so our main purpose in gathering is to honor God in Jesus' name. And when we do that, blessing follows. God commands it. We come together not simply to do good or to to be good or to feel good. We come to celebrate that God is good. And we want everything to point to Jesus. From the songs that we sing, the words that we say, the prayers that we pray, everything pointing to Jesus. We aim here at CBC for vertical worship. That is worship directed toward God. And as we draw closer to Him, it increases our fellowship and unity together. Uh, We direct our attention to God alone. And and if that's not what you want, then you will not enjoy it here. If you're looking for something else that you think is more important, you will not find it here. Because this is what's most important. And this psalm says, that God promises blessing when we gather to worship. And now today in Jesus' name. David talks about the unity and peace that his people have as they worship on Mount Zion. And yet, ironically, David ends up destroying that peace himself. Right there in that same mountain. See, one morning David's in his palace on that same mountain. While his armies are away at war. And he sees a woman bathing on the roof of her house and David chooses adultery and lies and violence and murder. And David and his family experience the consequences of those sinful choices. But you know what the great news is? On that same mountain, a thousand years later, the Son of God died there to give us peace. David disrupted unity and peace that he's so valued in Israel, and only Jesus can give it back. And that's still true in your life and in mine today. In Christ alone is peace and life and blessing possible. Only he can bridge the gap between you and a holy God. Only he can cleanse your sin and make you whole. Only he can bring true unity where there's polarization and brokenness and strife. By his death and resurrection, Jesus broke down the walls that separated us from a holy God and separate us from one another. He is our peace. And worship reminds us that Jesus unites us. That's why we need to be together. This is a reminder. This is what unites us. Not anything else but Jesus. We can't forget that. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and joins us together in one body. And when we gather in the same place for the same purpose, God pours out his blessing. Now, Henry, Herman Ostry, rather, is a farmer in Bruno, Nebraska. One day after a, a giant storm, Herman found his barn floor covered with 29 inches of water. Some of you know exactly what that's like. Here's what Herman did. He got his friends together and he asked them to move his 17,000 pound barn to a new foundation 143 feet away uphill. How was that possible? Well, all around the outside of the barn, they attached hundreds of handles. And then 344 volunteers each took a handle, picked up that barn, and slowly walked it all the way uphill and placed it on its new foundation in three minutes. Amazing things happen when you work together. But this psalm is not about everybody pitching in. This psalm is not about getting along. This focus of this psalm is worship. To be so passionate about praising God that everything else lines up behind that. And our own preferences and our own feelings fade in significance to our focus on what God has done for us in Christ. Every one of us who believes comes together to worship and it is glorious. That's what this psalm is about. We don't need lessons in unity as much as we need glimpses of the King of Kings. What a delight when we're in the same place for the same reason. How refreshing when we join together to celebrate the greatness of our Lord. Our need for community is not solved by fellowship dinners or service projects. It will not be cured by lessons on love or tolerance or anger management. No, I would put it this way, that the depth of our fellowship with each other is determined by the depth of our worship of God. That's what it's about. And as we glimpse His magnificence and we, we, we see everything else in a different light, how good and pleasant it is when with one mind and with one mouth we glorify God. So I encourage you today to grab a handle and to join me in lifting our praise to the one true God. We march together singing glory to His name. And if that's our goal, if that is our goal, then it won't matter what style of music we sing or who's sitting next to us or who's not here or which programs we have or don't have. If we want to see God pour out his blessing, what matters most is that together we worship him in unity. We declare his worth. And together we look forward to the day when when people from every tribe and tongue and nation will unite in praise to God and to the Lamb forever and ever. Now this morning, we have an opportunity to celebrate what unites us. And we do that around the table of the Lord. So in a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to come forward to one of the tables at the front or one of the two in the back and to take... The bread symbolizing the body of Christ that bore our sin, to take the cup symbolizing the blood spilled for our forgiveness, and to eat and drink in remembrance of Him. And in a few moments, as I invite you to stand and, and give you the opportunity to come forward, just glance around at those who are streaming forward to these tables and be reminded of that image of the temple and how. God's people gathering in unity to celebrate Him alone, and that together as one body, this is what unites us. Not anything else. This is what unites us.